My name is Kim Rothwell, and this is the Return to Embodiment. In this episode, I'm speaking with Peggy Hackney. Peggy graduated from the very first Effort Shape Certificate Program in New York City in 1968. She worked closely with Ermgard Bartinieff herself for almost 15 years. Since then, Peggy has been involved in Laban and Bartinieff training programs all over the country and the world. In this conversation, we talk about the lemniscaping process, inner awareness, outer expressivity. We talk about change as a constant and the beauty of finding liveness through movement with other, be it the ground or an environment, another person or a new learning I'm Kim Rothwell, and I'm welcoming you to the Return to Embodiment. Honor to meet you. Great to meet you, Kim, yes. Um, I'm excited about being interviewed and what that will entail, and thank you for the questions. So um, I have really so many years of having been in this field, so uh it may take me a nanosecond sometimes to come up with the answer to your questions. It's okay. I'm, I'm a fan of space. <laughs> Okie doke. And where are you? I live right outside of St. George, Utah, in the beautiful Red Rock country that is um, near Zion National Park, et cetera. So we have these incredible Red Rock formations. I feel like we live in a national park, really. <laughs> That's amazing. I can send you a picture of where we are. I would love to see it. I've been thinking a lot about environments and just hearing you describe the red rocks, you know, Mm -hmm. we are connected to where we live in this. Absolutely. This, this sense of place is this whole area is the reason we moved from the Napa Valley in California to this glorious Ah, this red rock is my spirit home healer. I try to spend time in it every day. And um, I just feel that it brings me into my embodiment where uh, I can feel grounded and supported by the earth. And that's a huge thing uh, to any of us. You know, I have worked with a lot of uh, dance movement therapists all over the world. And uh, this is one thing that I feel is a reason that people come into therapy situations. They don't feel grounded. They don't feel present. So uh, to find the, the place on this earth that feels like my spirit home is just, wow. So can you tell me the story of when you first saw the, the place, saw the rocks, felt the rocks? Yes, absolutely. I can tell. Um, I, I was teaching, and I have been teaching every summer up until this summer, for 22 years at the University of Utah. 
in our Laban Movement Analysis certification program, which also includes Bartenev's work in fundamentals. So uh, we would do an eight-week summer session, one week off in the middle after four weeks, and then we had a whole, whole week to go out to the, the landscape and do hikes and do whatever we wanted, really. Some people loved sitting by the stream. That was their sense of place. I felt coming to the Red Rock land was my sense of place. And the way I found this particular area is that my husband and I and our daughter Ashby, I think she was about 11 at that age, she was very interested in horseback riding. So we stayed in this um, place right outside of Zion National Park that had horses. While I was there, I opened this tourist brochure that they had right there in front of me. I saw a double page spread that had these incredible pictures of Snow Canyon, which is right near St. George. It's, a, it's not a national park, it's a state park. And the minute I saw that picture, I said, I have to go here. And the very first contact I had with Snow Canyon, it has these sculpted forms that kind of embrace and hold and it's so we would say in law and movement analysis that it is like carving. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And all of this was created over millions of years by flow, the water. It oh, used to be in uh, the bottom of an ocean. And now it's this magnificent sense of um, a place to enter, to enter with my full self so I can live fully. And that is a sense to me of something that really feeds my inner spirit. And the fact that I can also be teaching in all over the world, essentially, in the Laban Bartenev work, um, that also feeds my whole life and liveliness. So uh, I feel um, just incredibly blessed. Uh, to have had this long, long life. Now I'm 75, so <laughs> it, it's been ongoing for a while. I've been in the Laban work about 57 years. So uh, it's been a very rich journey. And um, so that's essentially how I found this place. That's such a great story. I love it so much. I'm imagining, I, I was with you when you were doing the carving movements. Yes, I saw you uh, moving with me. I like how you talked about it being a product of flow, a product mm -hmm. of water, doing yes. carving around the places yeah. that, that, that remained and then it, as a place that you can kind of enter in. Yes. Um, such incredible imagery. That is the nature of this, this area, and that also is the nature of my own self as a human being, to, um, to want to feel fully embodied, living my life fully. Um, I feel that my body has to be a part of it. Yeah. And uh, so I've been teaching embodiment, essentially, 
all these years. Uh, and that sense of embodiment comes from the sense of wholeness, being whole. So you've kind of started answering the first question already. Yes. And it's the question of how is embodiment to you? Well, I think my personal understanding of embodiment is that um, I don't want to be doing what uh, Morris Berman <laughs> calls avoid dance, avoidance. I'm going to quote a little bit from Morris Berman. Great. This man is a historian of science. And uh, so he wrote in Coming to Our Senses, if you are in your body most of the time, the void is not so threatening. If you are out of your body, on the other hand, you need a substitute for the feeling of being grounded. Substitutes consist of a lot of what we call culture, included but not limited to drugs, TV, workaholism, and so on. These are a result of running from genuine somatic experience. The problem of hollowness, then, of avoidance, is really the attempt to find substitutes for a primary satisfaction of wholeness that somehow got lost, leaving a large gap in its place. So that's what he said. So a lot of what we do uh, in our culture is that we are feeling a void at our inner core, or we feel something like our true feelings are not acceptable, or we want to be out of whatever's going on in the now moment. And I call that aliveness. And I studied uh, with this, this man called uh, Charlie Johnston, Dr. Charles Johnston, in Seattle. He has a, an institute called the Institute for Creative Development. So I uh, worked in his group there for many, many years and um, discussed the sense of what is aliveness. When did you feel totally uh, alive in the moment and that you're being all of who you are, not just a part? I learned to deal with parts work in the, like in the therapeutic process. And um, so I feel that a lot of people are dealing with one part of themselves, just maybe one or two parts of themselves that might be in conflict, for instance. But not that many people know how to come to a sense of going beyond what it is that they're being conflicted about or that, that makes them um, sense that they're less than they want to feel. They don't have the tools for doing that. And um, I feel that the Laban Barteniev work, that work that I've been doing, brings to me those tools because uh, all through high school and I went to Duke University to major in science, in chemistry. And uh, while I was there, I realized that if I were going to be a chemistry major at Duke, that I would have to be every afternoon in the lab. And the, <laughs> that was the afternoon was when the dance classes were. So I, I said to myself, hmm, so what is it about chemistry that I love or science that I love? And I realized it was about 
being aware of how what's going on in the outside is coming from something that's inner. So it was an inner outer interest and wanting to go deeper into the inner. Well, inner to outer is one of the major themes in the Laban Bartenia fork. And uh, we see it like a kind of a Mobius strip where it, uh, the inner becomes the outer, becomes the inner, becomes the outer. Mm-hmm. And um, that, that fullness, the full interplay of the inner and outer, sometimes we look at it as, as stability, mobility, exertion, recuperation. There's all these different polarities that need to be bridged. And um, having the tools to do that, I feel... I don't want to be doing a void dance. I want to be doing a full dance. And uh, so that is essentially my sense of how embodiment is to me. I'm using my body, my spirit, my psyche, my uh, understanding of the external world. So it's uh, kind of an integration of artists and scientists. so that, that fullness, to, to live my life artfully and fully um, able to take in constant change, that's something that I think our world is really uh, reeling from right now. We teach the how to come to integration and how to invest in a kind of a larger whole And to do that, to know any of that in terms of a knowingness, that always comes in the context with not knowing. So knowing is only one side of the the polarity again. Not knowing is probably by far more in terms of taking up volume in the world. There's so many things that we don't know. And this pandemic, for instance, is one thing that we're all going, oh, no, we don't know. We don't know what's going on. How to, to live with change, to live with constant change. Nothing is, is going to stay the same. Uh, I remember Ermgard Bartenev, who was my mentor, ab- absolutely. Um, I worked with her for nearly 15 years, and she had on her mantle in New York City this card that said, constant change is here to stay. Not knowing is always going to be there. And can you live with it? Can you live with not knowing? And I, I do find in this time period that I do have an anxieties, but I also have a sense of how to ground myself. So that, that makes me feel much more comfortable in the not knowing. Mm, beautiful. So um, I'm struck by a number of different things. You talked about the tools necessary to cultivate aliveness, the knowing and the unknowing. Those are two really beautiful themes to me that I'm hearing come out of this. I have three children. Yes. Uh So there's so much that we perceive that they don't know. Yes. (laughs) Right? Yes. And they don't know yet how to crawl. I have a two-year-old grandson. He just turned two. So sweet. So, yes, I know. I'm so fascinated with this process. Yeah. Of the, and they're the change. 
living in change. They're living in unknown, but there isn't the um, anxiety that we layer on top of things, right? Yes. Somehow there's inherent in the developmental process grounding. It, yes, one would hope it would be there. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us have gaps in that, that area of what would be important to know as we change and grow. It doesn't mean we have to be conscious of it at that age, of course, but each the stage progressions coming to wholeness of knowing and not knowing and being able to cope with that, I think it's frustrating for the baby too. Oh, you know, like, <laughs> I, have a, I have a memory of my son when he was only about three months old, learning how to turn over from his back to his front before he knew how to turn over from his front to his back. <laughs> and he was so angry. <laughs> yes, I know. Because his body was just having that, having that spiral, right? That yes. Little spiral and his head was turning and all of a sudden he'd find himself on his belly. And yes. he's so mad. <laughs> so I'd come in and I'd flip him back onto his back. And seconds later, he'd be turning. <laughs> yes. It's a developmental mandate. Exactly. <laughs> and the grounding in that early stage, of course, comes with tummy time. Bonding, as Bonnie Bainbridge Cohen would say, bonding to the earth when you're on your tummy. Yeah. And bonding to the space when you're on your back. And I do think that because of sudden infant death, people do not put their children on the belly in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And that, and they also often are, are carried as babies looking out mm -hmm. in their carrier rather than looking in right. and being embraced to the mother's belly or the dad's belly. And so that sense of grounding is not being allowed in a way in our society. And so I think that is an important aspect to realize in the change process, each stage is important. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you know in dance therapy that the role of the therapist also is someone needs to be able to bond and create connection and it's often not possible and the, the, so that the safe the safety of the therapeutic container needs to be a holding environment for them for the the clients to really discover that that's a possibility mm -hmm. absolutely so that idea that as i'm holding as i'm containing i'm adapting to the change that i'm experiencing in the other person too yes of course nanosecond by nanosecond mm -hmm. yes and that's what makes it feel different perhaps from their parent their parent of origin kind of relationship because there isn't often there isn't that full willingness to connect with the parent because the parent's busy and the parent has all these telephone calls that, I mean, I, I know having been a parent myself. And uh, so that willingness to be present and have somebody really be present with you 
is something that is a training process. That cultivation of the, um, the observation within the therapist or the guide mm-hmm. who's sensing into something that's not intellectual. It's actually a feeling. Sometimes there's something that we know on a body level. Definitely. We that's, do. That's a, that's a clue as to what's going on or what, what is a potential place of opening. Absolutely. Well stated. <laughs> yeah. That the, um, the sense of how, how to make a connection is something that uh, is exploratory. It requires, um, you know, coming and going and coming and going and coming and going. And um, that fullness of the, the ability to bond with self or like in authentic movement, we might call it the inner witness is being developed. But at first, uh, it's kind of like the, the parent or the therapist that says, I love you, love you, love you as you are. Not as I wish you were, but as you are. Mm-hmm. And um, I studied with also Janet Adler for about off and on for 15 years. So uh, that has uh, been so important in my life. Wow. To know before I can say, I love me, love me, love me as I am. I feel that that's one of the beauties of authentic movement. It allows us to be in a space of unknowing while someone else is holding the consciousness and moving through our unknowing places to coming to trust in ourself. And that's huge. That's really huge. So I see that one of the things I'm doing um, just very soon is the Integrated Movement Studies has a a program that's now going on in Korea, in South, South Korea. And all of the people are danced there. So what I'm sort of teaching is what the Laban world might offer to the witness to be able to be uh, more clearly holding the, the client without putting on their, our own judgments, you know, uh, prejudices, etc. Mm-hmm. And how that, the importance of knowing where we are coming from as a witness is so important, I think, also to be able to really be with different people and to facilitate them discovering for themselves, not me telling, of course, I couldn't tell them because I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what's going on with them. But I have some inklings of what's going on inside me when I'm in their presence. So that that distinction, I think, is essential for the training of dance therapists. I studied authentic movement with Zoe Avstry in terms of the container that she holds. I feel um, that what emerges, it whatever needs to come, she can hold. Yes. And that's because I have a sense that she's holding her own. We're in the unknown, we're in the experimentation. I didn't realize that you had studied with Janet Adler. So that's just such an amazing um, uh, patchwork of these teachers. Yes. Yeah, you've talked about a number of different people who've 
informed your, you and yes. um, yeah, totally. I mean, I, I feel like we need need to give credit to these important people in our history of our own embodiment and because that's part of who each of us is at this point you know we we do have like one of the things that janet adler said is tune in to the people that are standing behind you that you you are in their lineage like i'm in the lineage of ermgard bartenia janet adler charles johnston all, all these various um very important teachers for me and hopefully i can uh give use the the wonderful wealth that i've gotten in a way to be with others as they continue to train i think that's very important and i also feel that there's a difference to be between coming from the witness and coming from the Laban movement analysis observation in observation it's like a distanced perceiving in a way and in the inner witness and in authentic movement it's like an inner just practicing saying i see you and i feel in myself not telling them what they feel that's a huge training right yeah. avoiding avoiding projection owning mm -hmm counter transference within the therapeutic relationship i don't know of a better um resource i agree movement in training that uh, yes i don't either we do include an, an introduction to the authentic movement perspective in our laban bartenia certification program because we feel it's so important to speak in present tense to speak in first person rather than you, 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 and you did this, you did that. <laughs> and I do feel one of the things that we train for is to be able to listen from the place of embodiment. So I see a lot of people there who are like listening, like, I'm just waiting till you finish because I know I already disagree with you. And, and then I'm going to tell you what you should think. Obviously, that is not the way <laughs> we connect with each other, really. So, right. So now you're talking more about how to connect with one another, person to person. Yes. Yes. That's and that's really important in our world. And my feeling is that marriages don't work. That. Uh, people in companies that work together, they fail, the company fails. It's all about relationship. And when I was writing my book, I used to, to bring in uh, chapters to um, sometimes share with my students to see what, how it was resonating with them. And one of the students at the University of Washington when I was teaching there, she said, you know, this is a very feminist perspective. This is, Females are all about relationship, but men aren't. <laughs> and I said, hmm, well, I think that we need both. <laughs> it's, a, again, one of those both and is the context for either or, a systems theory. Yeah, we need the knowing, we need the unknowing, we need the mobility, we need the stability. Yes. We need the tummy time, we need the back time. Yes. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
we're also talking about how very simple things build towards more complexity and diversity. Absolutely. And then we can also yield back into those simple things. Yes. So when you're talking about this um, experience that I completely resonate with, which is the anxiety around COVID, what are those resources? What are those things that are the source of yielding in our lives? Mm-hmm. And I'm word yield. Yeah. And I'm, I'm finding like, I'm in love with trees right now. I'm in love ah. with trees. Like I, I cannot, I love their bark. I love their shape. Like you're talking about the carving. My daughter likes to climb them. Good. Yeah. <laughs> and so what age is she? What age is she? She's the eight years old. The eight year old. <clears throat> mm-hmm. she, and she's very, she's quite strong. And um, she sees them as opportunities for relationship. Yes. <laughs> yes. She's mm-hmm. a tree as an opportunity to interact with the world and also with her own body it's that inner outer you know and and just like kind of like you were describing about you and the rock formations yes and I think that we use embodied knowing at the deepest level to make the most important decisions of our lives like who's going to be my partner if you go forward with a relationship, then there's something about that that um, has to be really embodied. I feel my wonderful husband, Rob, has been my witness in the authentic movement sense for all of the 37 years or 38 years of our, train, of our marriage. And that is a huge um, role to give to anybody in another person's life, you know? So, and the same is true of my colleagues in the integrated movement studies work. I feel like because I trust that we can continue to create relationship one and the other, I can continue to do the work that I love while feeling supported. So you're kind of moving it out from this, you know, from you to all of these ways in which the lemniscapes are moving into the world. Absolutely. Yes. In your business. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You said you love space and I see all these diagonals coming in. And yeah, right. We're, we're, we're moving three dimensionally. In Absolutely. Icosahedron. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Icosahedral living. Yes. Wow. Uh-huh. One of my colleagues, uh, uh, Brenton Chang, who uh, teaches in our Laban Bartenev certification program, he has an engineering degree, and he talks about one of the things that the Laban Bartenev work gives to him. It is it allows him to live a high resolution life, <laughs> like because because in the Laban world we do have the very 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 subtle aspects. We have the simple aspects. We have the phrasing of the movement, which is going towards much more complexity, et cetera. And we, are, we have a training in that in the icosahedron, as you mentioned, because we learn to do these complex scales. I feel that learning to do these scales in the Laban work, which is like 
as you know, doing musical scales, but you're doing it in space. It is a training in learning to live with complexity without falling apart. Mm. Yeah. And accessibility, right? Yes. Ability to my own space. I can choose to be interested in space in a complex situation, or I could choose to be interested in shape, seeing the body form change, or I could be interested in the body connectivity pattern. I can be interested in the phrasing of the movement, which I definitely feel is one of the things that is the most signature of any individual person is how we phrase all these various elements in our life in sequential constellations that follow each other. Because somebody can have the same exact effort constellations, but if they phrase them in different ways, the expressive message is totally different. If you have a more than having a it's different that still has the strength both both of them still have that strength and somewhat directness and suddenness more sustainment but had more sustainment more crescendo yes absolutely more crescendo that the ability to be trained with all those as possibilities of relationship and what i really want to say feel do whatever so it's it's like it's like a language it is you're right like some languages um you once you've learned it there are words in it that do not translate yes and express something that is so unique and you just have to use that word the way that you're talking about lma is as a language that like you said helps with really fine pixels mm-hmm. yes. you know, all the way to 3d <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and is it and is a language for this experience of being in the body so i can have access to space as well as the connectivities right they mirror one another right like that's the other thing that's so amazing it's like the shaping can be something that's all just quietly within but then it can also be something that goes to the full extent of my reach absolutely yes yes you're speaking beautifully about what i love (laughs) yes yes and demonstrating very fully the aspect of language as a primary tool to uh, then utilize to make sense of our world and to utilize to um, share with another person what it is that's our own experience. That's mm-hmm. important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, and to invite someone into our experience. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Yes. And, and having said that, Another thing that I've been thinking about is you write in your book, Making Connections, mm-hmm. so beautifully about your gratitude to Ermgard. Yes. Really she, beautifully. She yeah. And um, you also say this is a system. It was never meant to be a fixed 
system to be a living thing. Yes. I feel very strongly about that. There are people in the Laban Bartenioff world that want everything to be set. It is this. That is not my own experience. My experience is that concepts and language change to meet what's going on in the, the now moment. Bartenioff's little plaque. Yes, constant changes here to stay. Yes. <laughs> So that was amazing. I mean, Ermgard was uh, up until her last breath. She was really tuning into how she herself was changing in her movement. I, I went to um, Hawaii. Uh, I was teaching at the University of Hawaii. And Ermgard decided to come because she needed to get out of winter in New York. So that this was, I was teaching in January in Hawaii, and she, she came also. And we would do these things like go to take hula classes because she, who was almost 80, felt that she needed more mobility in her body. And we, we went to fortune tellers there. We just did all sorts of fascinating things. We discussed the, the role of palm facing you know, whether you're facing, the palms are facing in or facing out, which is a huge intercultural difference. She was so totally fascinated with how cultural expresses itself in movement. Mm -hmm. And we worked on big projects together, such as looking at uh, the dance of Southwest India called Mohiniyatam. And so there, there were people there that were, were from there that were showing us and we used our observation skills, but we also noted the, there was the personality coming through this culturally defined movement, but each mover, just like in our world, in, in the dance world, they can, we can be making the same shapes, but how we do it, how we get there in terms of the effort and the shape change, the changing process can be slightly different. So that, that was fascinating to be with her as she was continuing to learn all the time. <laughs> I can just imagine you two in a hula class. <laughs> yes, I, I remember it well. <laughs> yes, and even when I was visiting her in the hospital, uh, right before she died, she was doing observation and of the nurses and the way the nurses helped people get up from their chair or bed or wherever they were. And she, was, she would say, but they, they always lift from here. That's not, that doesn't give the, the mover agency. They could teach the person how to shift their weight from underneath their pelvis, plant their feet, and rise. True. Yes. So she was also uh, just inspiring to me to see how she continued throughout her life even on her deathbed and people that would come to see her uh there was a this one mathematician man Hiresh Lavani and he was interested in 15 dimensional space and he he and Ermgard would right while she was in her hospital bed would have these discussions about 15 dimensional space <laughs> that's so beyond me 
<laughs> this ongoing life learning, being interested in, in, in finding a commonality with other fields. I feel that uh, movement, like sound, they're like the, the ocean floor. And to make a connection with somebody in the ocean floor, the people try to make a connection through a bridging over the top of the mountains rather than going down to the ocean floor to feel what the different fields like anthropology, psychology, music, movement, dance, acting. What is the, what's the constant that is present in all of those? That's the ocean floor. And so going to the ocean floor is so much more useful in terms of training than trying to make bridges. And when you, when you say um, the ocean floor, are you talking about like partially about mechanics, right? So there's, there's form, there, there is a form to us. Yes. It's not identical, right? And there's uniqueness amongst all of us. There's people with disability, there's all kinds of things, but generally we have a form that is part of the ground. That's right. As human beings, we have a similar ground of being. And so I feel one of the, the beauties of the Bartemiev work, also body-mind centering has this, is the, the, um, the commonality with all human beings of doing, for instance, a developmental progression. And if you go in, if I've been in airports all around the world, watching the babies go through their development that, they have to do it. They're driven inside their bodies unless it's pre prevented by falling or being hurt or whatever. Uh, they will go through them. And so that's something that we have in common. What we each have in our own uniqueness needs also to be addressed by any system that is looking at uh, diversity as well as commonality. I, I think that we're not really trained to look for commonality. In my mind, respect should be there at the ground floor rather than uh, being a reward for something that you have done. That's like, I love you, love you, love you as you are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's very important to me as well. But if if Chinese babies move the same as American babies move the same as Russian babies, there is something that is a, a Betty Lamott who does developmental movement calls it an engram. It's a deep, deep, deep patterning that the body does that forms the mind at the same time that it is teaching movement. It is forming the brain mm -hmm. and how the brain works. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So that, yes, it is amazing. So our effort life, for instance, our dynamic vitality is patterned in as we learn, for instance, to do yield and push patterns to get that strength. Sometimes people will say, don't push, don't push when, when they're talking to 
children in relation to each other. However, pushing is part of a developmental uh, mandate. Mm -hmm. So something mm -hmm. like that. And then yeah, I, that gets into that gets into the um, type of education that that uh, rewards disembodiment. That's right. Yes. <laughs> We actually receive rewards for that. <laughs> yeah, we receive rewards for not listening to the impulses of our bodies. That's right. We're trained. We're trained to be disembodied. You, you talked about the skills and the, the building and coming back to skills we might have at one point had, but then were kind of trained out of us, rewarded out of us. Yes. Just oh no, it's actually okay for me right now to utterly be supported by the That's earth. Right. Yes. And how mind-blowing that is to really connect through the, you know, the, the surface of the skin fully into the ground. I do that on my uh, rocks in, in Snow Canyon. Literally, I lie on my belly like in a body half pattern with my front surface totally on the red rock and I can start to feel the earth breathing with me. It's amazing to feel that support. You know, it has something like it has its own megahertz tuning, but I can start to feel that and I can start to breathe with the earth. So it has a feeling, I'm exaggerating, of course, it's very tiny, <laughs> people don't see me move. But uh, the feeling at the, the uh, inner, sort of like the interstitial flow, you start to feel. I'm imagining you there on the rocks and just feeling into the, the, the field. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's A right. The field, but it has its, um, its energetic play. It does. And it is a play. This is the other thing we're trained not to do. Work, 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 work. One of the things we, we really believe in the Lavin Bartinia uh, certification program is we believe in play as a major teacher. Improvisation should be a, a class that every single person in the university takes to, move, to, be able, to be trained to move into action in spite of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. What's going on now? Uncertainty. When I was teaching at UC Berkeley for many years, people would come in to my classes. It was called Sources for Movement. And we'd be sourcing from all different aspects, uh, you know, architecture, poetry, body patterning, all sorts of things. And uh, people who had already gone through almost four years of training at this wonderful academic university had never learn to embody anything in their study, like chemistry, physics, history. I think this piece about play is once again part of the ground. Yes. Part of the, part of the bedrock. I agree. Play is. Because that's what, that's what kids do everywhere. <laughs> you know? Unless, it's, unless they're not allowed to. Unless they're not allowed to, unless they're told that they have to sit still and can't, you know, but you go and you, and you look across the world and you see children playing with the materials around them. Right. <laughs> Games. 
mm -hmm. um, engaging with the unknown, right? Mm -hmm. Back to your point before, of, um, play is a way of engaging with the unpredictable and the unknown in a um, in a way that has a that's adaptive. Adaptive. It is. Yes, it's a co-creative process. I see in my mind's eye now people standing at a bar, like a ballet bar, doing point, 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 you know, tandu, 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 et cetera, over and over and over again, never conceiving that, that they could play with something like that because it's an outer form. What's the personal expressivity that you want to bring to that tandu, Lee? Going out to the world, back into myself. Going out to the world, back into myself. Could the tandu be a glide, or could it be a tap? Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, sure. Or like striking a match to get to the tandu. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like also the, the teacher training has so much to learn in order to keep inviting this personal expression into facts, fact learning, which in, in my mind really nothing is a fact because things are changing all the time. You do need markers along the way, maybe, but not rigidified, um, this is the way it is. This is the way it is. It's always going to be that way. So aliveness is about an empowerment to be able to have what we've been talking about, that interplay between yeah. me and the world and having some sense of trust of, when I don't know what's going to happen. All of those yeah. things being a training in attuning to one's own process. Yes, I think that's true. So the more, the more we are inviting people in the classroom, whatever we're teaching, to explore something personally, you know, so that, so that they could have many diverse possibilities to fulfill any task that's being asked. And then they can choose which one they want to become very skilled at, you know. So if I wanted to be, as I did at an earlier point in my life, be a performer that is at a national touring level, I do have to meet the demands of the field. But also, if I'm not investing in my own aliveness and bringing my own sense of personality or who I am or what I'm feeling in that moment to the movement, it just becomes a drone. You know, yeah, I can get my legs high, I can do turns, I can do all this stuff. You can, you can see the difference between someone whose aliveness is coming through. In a yes, 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 yes. The imbuing of life or aliveness into every task that we have to be fully present. What is the sense of presence? Presence, in, in my feeling, is that I have to be fully coming from my inner and meeting what's coming from the outer to meet there in that moment. Like right now, for instance, I am investing in doing oil paintings <laughs> because I, I decided as I get older and older that I still want to be 
to be an artist to find artistic expression. And so naturally I had to pick the hardest thing. <laughs> I have no technique for this. And it does, you know, in certain fields require like a grounding level technique. Not me, I just wanna play with the materials. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so that of course that prevents me from making certain types of artwork because I don't have the skills like drawing, for instance. Drawing is an incredible skill. So true. Yeah. Sounding is an incredible skill. Like I think that it's systematically in education system taking back everything that could be really enlivening. Mm. <laughs> it's too bad. Right. Be everyone needs to be quiet. Mm -hmm. As opposed to um let's sing together. Let's make a sound together or um, who has a sound that you want to to bring to the group. Mm -hmm. So somebody goes and and then everybody gets to do <laughs> I mean that then it's a it's a game by that time. Yeah, an encounter with someone else's experience. Yeah. And and sharing and expression. Exactly. Uh -huh. I didn't really get to talk to you about the process much of writing your book. It took me 15 years to write it. And with every chapter I made an attempt to have the writing style of that chapter go with the sort of the mind of that particular body connection. So with breath, I wanted to have the writing be metaphorically poetic and kind of just like not about fact, 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 but just like that. Whereas when I got to doing upper lower, I wanted it to, to be do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then the, in the cross patterns that have multiple things going on at the same time, that's kind of like cross laterality and enables us to move to that complexity. So I did my best. So even in your writing, there was an embodying of the connectivities as you went. The yes. Yes. And when I was working on the patterns in writing, I always would go back and, and do long time moving before I wrote. And I also made mind maps mm. about what seemed important to me as I was moving in those patterns, what was coming up for me. Mm. So that was a good process, working process for me. Mm -hmm. process. You were living. Yes. About. Yes. <laughs> I do want to tell you that um, when I use that progression, it's almost mm -hmm. like magic. I know you were talking about that when you were witnessing the, observing the children at, in, the, in the airport. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the people who I'm like, oh, this is going to be a challenge to get this person to move. Mm -hmm. like, I don't think this guy looks like he wants to move. But if I, if I follow this sequence, mm -hmm. it's like I'm ushering them into the pleasure of moving again. Yes. Um, argue for anything. I don't have to force anything. I feel it unfold. 
and yeah. by the end they're skipping. That that will happen, and it's <laughs> it's almost surprising to the client too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> one, I had a physical therapy client one time. He was like, doesn't move, doesn't do anything, you know, and he, but he was in great pain, physically great pain, holding himself together in bound flow, high intensity bound flow. So I did this very simple thing of, you know, suggesting that he, he go, and he said, you tricked me. Now my pain is gone. <laughs> using sound once again. Yes, using sound. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm going to let you go. It was great talking with you, though. Great. Thank you. Such sensitive questioning and um, relating, taking in what I just said and giving it back in terms of the next question that you really gratifying thank you it's been such an honor and i'm so grateful for your work and i'm thank i'm thankful to have you know i feel like i'm maybe a little part of the line your lineage yes it seems like it i think you're right studied the work so i feel so honored and grateful to have the chance to meet you and, and talk to you great i'm glad to meet you too Thank you to Peggy Hackney for writing such an amazing book, Making Connections, Total Body Integration Through Bartinia Fundamentals, bringing her embodied knowing into words that benefit all of us who are in her lineage. Thank you to Josie Rothwell for the opening credits and Erin Kate Dunnick for the closing credits. And thank you to our listeners for joining me in the return to embodiment. Open to end time.